When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Gretchen, we are so excited. We are going on tour this fall, back on the road with Happier Hour with Gretchen and Elizabeth. Everyone can come see our disembodied (laughs) voices live on stage. Yeah, plus there's going to be slides. We don't get to show slides on the podcast, but we've got slides. Visuals. Yes. Tickets are now on sale for San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Chicago, and Kansas City, our hometown. For Providence, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Charlotte, tickets will go on sale the week of September 9th. You can get all the information, uh, details, links to buy on GretchenRubin.com slash events. And if you want to make sure you're notified when we're coming to your city um, and more information, sign up for my newsletter at GretchenRubin.com slash hashtag newsletter. Yes, hashtag newsletter. I send out information to keep people notified. Please come bring your friends. We had so much fun meeting our podcast listeners at our live shows earlier this year. We can't wait to meet a whole lot more of you. Yay! Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you might recreate a menu from your childhood, and we'll talk to the blockbuster, best-selling writer, Rachel Hollis. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. 
with whom I have shared many a childhood menu. <laughs> That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I love Winstead's double cheeseburger, onion rings, and a skyscraper. Yeah, it makes me happy just to think about Winstead's. <laughs> Now, before we jump in, um, just remember, uh, Happier Labor Day is coming up. Yes, uh, we are going to be talking about all the things that we could do to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative at work using the Labor Day holiday, which is September 2nd this year in the United States, as a catalyst for reflection. And so we want to hear, what are you doing for Happier Labor Day? Yeah, so everybody post your thoughts about Labor Day using the hashtag Happier Labor Day. Yes. And Gretch, I should point out in your book, Happier at Home, you write about how September is the other January. Yes. So it's a great time to look at what's going on in your life and get a fresh start. Absolutely. And we want to hear what everybody's doing for Labor Day. And also, um, just as a plug for Happier at Home, if you are interested in things like time, possessions, neighborhood, family, um, Happier at Home is all about doing a happiness project, but starting in September. Because as you say, September is mm-hmm. the other January. It has that feeling of a fresh start. And so a lot of times it's a good time to think big, start over. Fresh starts all around. Labor Day is the January 1st of the fall. Um, So listen, this this week our Try This at Home tip is so fun, um, which is to recreate a menu from childhood. And this is whether in your memory and you're just thinking about those foods or whether in real life where you like go out and buy those food or make those foods but to try to reconnect with the foods from your childhood. Now, Gretchen, this sounds really fun because I love thinking about the food from our childhood, (laughs) but what does it do to actually boost happiness? Well, I think there's a couple things. First of all, um, I it, it makes me feel happier to feel continuity with my past. I think for many people, and mm. certainly for me, you feel sort of disengaged from the past. And there's a real pleasure in kind of revisiting childhood. But I find it like it's I cannot remember things very well. It's so I need kind of things to hook onto. And so oh, I can't triggers. Yeah, I can't remember like what was it like to be a kid, but then you're like, what was what did we have to eat when we were little? That kind of brings memories back. I need sort of a way in. And there is something about sensory memories, the way things smell, the way things tasted that there's a there's a particular vividness that really kind of brings back that time uh, with a kind of a flood of emotions and a flood of sensation. And I think that makes us happier because it, it, it makes life right now feel more rich and more continuous with the past. Well, that is true, Gretch. Like I can right now think about mom eating stewed tomatoes because she used to eat these canned tomatoes all the time. And she would eat them in this brown mixing yeah. bowl. Oh, because and the- she would stand in front of the little black and white TV in the kitchen. And I think watching Julia Child. And I can right now thinking about that. It's like I'm back in that kitchen on Stratford seeing mom. It's so funny that you mentioned that brown mixing bowl, because I have thought many times like how when they when mom and dad bought that mixing bowl. Did they really understand that they would be using that like 10 times a week for the rest of their lives? I mean, that is like the I most know. used I think thing. they still have it. Yeah, oh, 100%. Um, what I remember is, do you remember how we would eat Colby uh, Longhorn cheese in those cylinders? It's like an orange kind of semi-soft cheese. And it would just be out on the counter and kind of get softer as the day went on. And we just kind of cut off a slice. It had this waxy exterior. Um, yes. I mean, cracked wheat. Bread, Pepperidge Farm cracked wheat, whole wheat bread with peanut butter. I ate yes. every day. 
for yours? I love that bread. Love that bread. One of my favorite memories from summer is mom's BLTs. Yeah. She made the best BLTs. And I don't know how one BLT can be better than (laughs) another, but moms are definitively the best on the planet. Yes, absolutely. And you know what I remember? When we go on those long car trips to visit our grandparents in North Platte, Nebraska, it would be like we'd load up the car with like all kinds of special snacks and Mm -hmm. Ritz crackers, Cheez-Its crackers, and Triscuits. It was like... Yes. I think we usually only had two out of the three, but everybody had their kind of their favorites. And to this day, eating like Triscuits makes me, which I don't even eat Triscuits anymore, but just the thought of Triscuits makes me feel like I'm on a long car trip across the plains of Nebraska. Um, Mm -hmm. It all comes back. (laughs) And the other thing is mom was such a good cook, Gretchen. Like she made homemade pasta. I have so many memories of watching her spin that dough through those machines yeah. that cut the yeah. thing into strips. I don't cook, so I don't know what it is, but I have such a great memory of that. Pass it onto the counter and she would turn a crank and it would it would yes. flatten out and flatten out and then it would eventually get cut into strips. No, it was a major thing. Yeah, it was all day. So there's the things that are homemade, which is like mom's meatballs and the pasta she made, her pork chops. But then there's Mm. also kind of like the places we went. Like we always went to Winstead's. We always went to Topsy's for slushes and cinnamon popcorn. And then Andre's at Christmas time. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Gretchen. My um, absolute favorite sort of treat was when mom would take me to Andre's for a Matterhorn pastry. Yes. Or the gingerbread cookies. You know, I don't eat sugar anymore, but the one thing I do think about is the gingerbread cookies from Andre's. There's just Mm. something about the texture and that gingerbready. And then chocolate-covered graham crackers. Nobody eats chocolate-covered graham crackers anymore. This was like the major cookie of my childhood. They are so delicious. Like, why Mm. is not everybody eating chocolate-covered graham crackers all the time? Another thing, Gretchen, that really brings our childhood back to me is Mario's Grinders. Oh, yes. Yes. And Joe Marie Scaglia, who ended up being a really good friend of mine, her family owned Mario's and they had these grinder, meatball grinder sandwiches. And I absolutely love them. Yeah. Well, but sometimes, you know, you try to introduce people to the important foods of your childhood. I remember I took Jamie to Princess Garden when we when he came for like the first or second time when we were, you know, going to get married. And I was like, and now you will have crab rangoon. And it's which is basically <laughs> deep fried cream cheese. And Jamie was like, uh, what is up with crab rangoon? Like, I don't think this is Chinese food. And I was like, well, I just can't even explain it to you. You know, this is Princess Garden. Like, get with the program. Um, yes, no. we had to leave Kansas City to find out that wasn't like a national <laughs> thing. Although they do have it in other places. They call it cream cheese wontons. Uh, I mean, just to say it is kind of to call it into question, you know, but um, but we ate it throughout our childhood and we loved it. And what's interesting, Gretchen, is the cultural elements of this, because, of course, marrying Adam, who's Mexican-American, he introduced me to all these other food traditions, like I've mentioned tamales at Christmas. Yeah. So that's really fun. And also it's creating all these new food memories for Jack. Yeah. No, it is really fun to how to think about how to introduce your own food memories to your children and how to incorporate new food memories and your your sweetheart's food memories and other family members' food memories. Um, it, it's just fun. It's a fun way to reconnect with the past. But I want to eat it. That's the problem. <laughs> just thinking about it isn't enough. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let us know if you do tread this at home and how recreating a childhood menu works for you, whether you actually eat the stuff or you just revisit it in your memory. And what are the foods of your childhood? Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode. Go to happiercast.com slash 235. Coming up, we've got a hack to prevent family conflicts. But first, this break. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Gretchen, it's time for this week's happiness hack. And this is a hack that will keep you from bickering with various family members. Yes. So this is one of these hacks where you're like, does this even rise to the level of the hack since it's so obvious? But I have to say it was a major breakthrough for me. Um, so in my family, there's this constant debate about whose phone charger belongs to whom. Oh, there's a phone charger in that outlet in the kitchen. Whose phone charger is that? <laughs> or like we're, you know, renting this house for the summer. And it's like there's this random outlet that nobody ever uses. But there's, a you know, somebody's phone charger is there. And you get into these whole chain of custody arguments about like whose is whose. <laughs> and with earbuds, when since we all have AirPods, it's like they all look exactly alike. So I had what I thought was a brilliant idea. I got stickers. We have this giant sticker collection that we started like, you know, 20 years ago. And I got like a a sticker of a book and a sticker of a heart and a sticker of a happy face and put it on my chargers and my AirPods so that I know which ones belong to me. And therefore, it's like, that is mine or that is not mine. And my problem is solved. 
Yeah, Gretchen, I did the same thing with a Sharpie. I wrote Liz on my little AirPod case because yeah. when I plugged it in, I knew these were not going to be long, you know, for the world if I yes. did not claim them as mine. Yes. But I'm going to go around and do that on all my chargers because um, this is something that happens constantly. When it, you know, I hadn't thought about using a Sharpie, but like you could put your one word theme on your charger or your AirPod mm. because again, like it would be another That's way. That's a good to idea. Have, yeah. Or like a gratitude prompt or something. This would be good at the office too, because a lot of times like you'll be at a meeting and everybody will plug in kind of like in a conference room. And then, it, and then you get into this whole thing where they're kind of interchangeable, but you do sort of want your own back. Gretchen, what's funny is I've been working at Sarah's um, and I keep leaving my charger there and then I'm texting her immediately like, that's my charger plugged in in your <laughs> office. Like, please bring it next time I see you because I'm just like, she's going to absorb my charger. Yes. Well, another hack is have plenty of chargers so that, you know, you're not yes. always just like so terrified. But I think it is really good to just have a way to distinguish yours. So this is in the the category of little teensy tiny things, mm -hmm. but that actually can solve a problem that can, you know, at least in my family, there was a lot of bickering about whose is whose yeah. and you took mine and why did you come into my room in the middle of the night and take my charger, et cetera. Um, <laughs> now, now we know. Yay. Yay. And now it's time for an interview with Rachel Hollis. We are so excited to be talking to Rachel today. Rachel Hollis is a phenomenon. She is a writer, podcaster, and speaker. Her books, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing, have been giant, enormous bestsellers at the very top of the bestseller list. She has a terrific podcast called Rise with Rachel Hollis. Gretchen, you were just on in episode 106, yeah. where she talks to people about how to make life better. And she also has a podcast called Rise Together, which she hosts with her husband, Dave Hollis, which is about yeah. relationships. And not only that, she has a website with all kinds of great posts called The Chic Site. She has conferences. She has a TV special. She's married with four kids. So, Rachel, welcome. Welcome, Rachel. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I It is always such a trip when you get to be a guest on a podcast that you've listened to nine million <laughs> times. So I feel like I am a third sister and I'm here for it <laughs> and I'm excited. When I've been on your podcast and I've listened to your podcast, so it is, it's like this very meta thing. Um, uh, <laughs> worlds uh, collide. Worlds collide. That's so fun. Now, Rachel, there's something that I just sort of a big picture question that I want to ask, which is, you know, you, your work is just resonating. It's such a huge way with so many people. What, what do you think is resonating most with people? Like if you had to put your finger on it, why, what do you think is capturing people's imagination and their attention? I think, I mean, this, I feel like this is just such a sort of generic answer, but I am in such close conversation with my community mm -hmm. and I am in like and have been for a decade. And so what's working or what's resonating is I am just answering questions or I am just creating content around the things that she's asking, the things that she's talking about, the things that I know she's struggling with because I'm hearing it at a book signing or mm -hmm. in the comments on Instagram. And so it really is we're kind of obsessive and have always been obsessive with the audience that we're creating for. And so, I mean, even with the book last year, everyone was like, how, how did you, I mean, there's no way I could have known it was going to do what it did, but mm -hmm. honestly it worked because the 20 lies were the 20 lies that I had been getting emails about for the last 
you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because when I wrote Outer Order, Inner Calm, it was sort of the same thing. It was like, it was just something that people kept talking about. I'm like, well, this is a big deal for me, but clearly it's a big deal for other people because it just keeps coming up all the time. And you talk to so many women, Rachel. Is there one thing you feel like, oh, if only they could change this, then they could accomplish whatever goal they want to accomplish? Or do you feel like everybody's got different things standing in their way? Uh, For me, it all... All of this work was really rooted in the idea that I want women, whether they're, you know, 67 or 10, to understand that they are in control of their life and their choices. Uh, I Mm. had so many – so much of my work now is based on the family and the childhood that I came out of, of – really wishing that I could help the women in my family and not being able to. And if I had to pinpoint one thing, it's that it always felt like life was living them, not that they were living life. Mm. And so all of my work is how do I create tools? If it's a book or a podcast or a conference, how do I create tools that help her feel ownership, that help her feel like even if it's just one small area of her life that she can take control, and do the work to make change. You know, it's funny, Rachel. I know you're in a polder in the Four Tendencies Framework because we've talked <laughs> yes. about this on your podcast, so you're in a polder. And I feel like this is a very kind of a polder thing, which is you're like, if only people could keep their promises to themselves, if only they could develop yes. the tools, how can I help people follow through for themselves? It's a very, because like for upholders, we feel that value so much that kind of discipline is my freedom feeling that upholders feel. And that I think that's something that we, that upholders then are trying to help other people figure out how to do it for themselves. Yes. I, well, I love, I love any, you know, I'm obsessed with all of it, like the Enneagram and, and yeah. the four tendencies and anything that sort of gives you that insight. Even you just saying that, I'm like, oh, that is what I'm doing. I'm, I hadn't thought of it that way, <laughs> but of course that's what I'm doing is this has been such an incredible tool in my life. Yeah. And if I could give it to other people, what a gift. Yeah. One thing I think is really useful, Rachel, is that you acknowledge that these things are hard. You're not yes. just a cheerleader. You're saying, look, this is hard. And don't think it's just going to be fun to change your life or to build a business or to lose 20 pounds. It's not pleasant. And I, I personally Absolutely. appreciate that message. Well, I think, you know, that that messaging really started because so many women were sending me notes and and talking about this like an obs- almost an obsessive fear of failure. They're so afraid mm-hmm. of getting it wrong. They're so afraid of, you know, oh, I I tried and and if you dig deeper with them, you find that the the perceived failure, you guys can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, but the perceived <laughs> failure in their mind is that they tried something and it was hard and that meant that they failed at it. Mm. And so uh, that, that sort of, um, those lessons and that kind of narrative of talking about how hard it was and talking about the struggle was I wanted them to understand, hey guys, this is the only way I know of to get to where you want to be. If if it was easy for other people, that's not the that's not the life I lived. Everything in my life, being a mom, being a wife, building a company, all of these things were difficult. And so I'm trying to normalize the struggle and make uh, hopefully make her when she when she sort of comes up against the opposition or comes up against it being difficult, I hope that she can see it as 
hey, this is life trying to make you strong enough for the goal you say you want to achieve. Mm. Like I fundamentally believe that we sort of call our shot and we we see the goal. We see like the top of the mountain and we're like, this is where I want to go. And I think that God or the universe, whatever you believe in, I feel like forces come together to be like, okay, you want to climb that mountain? You're going to have to run this gauntlet. You're going to have to walk through this valley. You're going to have to carry this load because doing these things, these really hard things and teaching yourself to stand back up, that's what's going to give you the strength to climb the mountain. But most people start off on the journey and it's difficult and they see that as a sign to give up. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, nah, man, when it gets Mm -hmm. difficult, I must be on to something. Well, a few minutes ago, you mentioned your childhood and growing up and wishing that you could help other members of your family. And I remember I was listening to um, an episode of the podcast that you do with your husband, Rise Together, and you mentioned how there are many family members that you basically don't have contact with. And I Mm -hmm. think for many people, a big happiness challenge is setting boundaries and sort of understanding when you can say, this is too much or this isn't for me or, or whatever. How did you think about that in your own life, drawing that kind of boundary within your family? I honestly, what made, what really made the change for me was having kids. Mm. Because when I was, when I was a child, I felt, my life felt very out of control. When you're a little kid, you are, you are, you know, at the whim of whatever your parents are going through or whatever's happening in your family. I didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. And when I got married, it was sort of like, hey, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to deal with these kinds of people, but they're your family and you got to love them. And then when I had my own children and I saw some of that negativity and that um, just like, gross energy sort of coming into their sphere, it was like saber-toothed tiger. Like, absolutely not. (laughs) This will not, I will not expose my children to this. Mm. And that gave me the strength to stand up to those family members. And it was a, a very kind but very firm conversation of, if you want to be part of our lives, the these are the things that will happen in our home. If you come into our home, you're not mm. allowed to drink until you're, you're, you're not allowed to get drunk. You're not allowed to cuss. You're not allowed to just all of these things that as a child, I didn't have a choice in. Mm. And for some family members, they were, you know, not that it was an easy conversation, but they were respectful. And other people, you know, I grew up in a very like Southern family, very patriarchy and like whatever grandpa wanted was the way mm-hmm. and you respect your elders. And so I definitely have family members who felt like it was disrespectful and I don't have a relationship with them. And that's okay because my priority is is the family that I've made now. And if you can't approach it in the right way, then I don't want you in our home. So they felt like it was disrespectful because it was kind of like you trying to tell them what they could or couldn't do in their own behavior. Yeah. In my family, it was very much a culture of uh, you respect your elders. I don't Ah. so that I don't know just that whatever they were, however they were, it Ah. was a sign of respect that we just allowed them to be who they were. And so by saying to an older generation that they had to act in a certain way, they felt like that was very disrespectful. And I'm curious if you think setting those boundaries, having those conversations sort of freed you to build the business you've built, like you you needed to sort of take that control for yourself and then you were unleashed to just explode. Well, I think with my family members, it 
what it allowed me to do, those boundaries allowed me to build the kind of family that I wanted to build. It was sort of the Mm. first step that my husband and I took to we're going to build, we're going to be the kind of parents that we want to be, not Mm -hmm. the kind of parents that our parents think we should be, which was a huge step for both of us. And the, the idea of building the business really came years later as I learned to not, not, um, one of the questions I was taking the four tendencies test because I just want to make sure that I was accurate before we had this conversation. <laughs> As um, a true upholder would do, checking I your know, answer. I knew it. I knew it. I was checking my answer. Um, but one of the questions was about being a people pleaser. And there was absolutely a time in my life where I was such a people pleaser. And there were plenty of family members who didn't like the fact that I was a working mom because that is not the normal in our families. You know, men go to work and women stay home and take care of the kids. And I really struggled for years with feeling like I was the wrong kind of woman, feeling like I was the wrong kind of mom because no one in our family understood, and getting to a place where I could stand firm and be proud of myself and be proud of my work was a huge—I mean, it took years, um, but getting out of that mindset of needing to please everybody else was the freedom that— Every single thing that you can see in my career or my business today is because I finally found the courage to be myself. So interesting. Um, now, you no, work I mean, with your husband, Dave. Um, how, yes. how, what's that like? Um, um, yeah, it's something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, so, so, <laughs> so Dave was at Disney for, he came from the entertainment industry. He was a president at uh, Disney Studios for when he left his job. He was there for 17 years. And my company was growing like crazy. And I was really struggling with being both the CEO and the face of the brand. And I knew I needed help. And uh, we had talked about it forever. And we finally just bit the bullet, decided to go big or go home. We left LA, moved our family to Austin, Texas. And in the last year, we have gone from four employees to 44 employees, oh my which gosh. is absolutely wow. crazy. That is. Jesus, take the wheel. Um, and <laughs> so, and it's been, it's been um, amazing and super hard. Like, no joke, it's been super hard because you're with someone all day that you might have argued about, you know, the vision for the company. And then you go home at night and you're raising four kids and, uh, if it's been hard, but I would say honestly, you know, like when you're when you're in a marriage and you have children, your marriage needs to be strong for your kids. Like if mm-hmm. if the marriage dissolves, it will hurt the children. And so sometimes you'll reach for a better marriage just because, hey, we want to keep the family and make sure everybody's okay. If you add to that, now there are 44 employees yeah. who are supporting their families, who are paying their bills because of the work that we're doing. Now you've even got to be doubly strong in your relationship. So it's been hard, but I would also say I feel like it's cut through the BS. Like, hey, we don't have time to fight over stupid things. Like mm-hmm. we have got to, we've got to be really clear and really intentional about how we communicate, how we love and support each other. We've got to be strong for a bunch of people now, not just our children. Well, it's interesting because we sort of represent a spectrum because like my husband has nothing to do with what I do. He like as an infrastructure guy. And I work by myself, except for what I do with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has a husband that works in the same industry, but they don't work together. But and she does have a writing partner. So she has like a long term team. So she's sort of in the middle. And then you're double down on both where 
Right. Your husband does the same thing that you do. And he is kind of your 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 creative partner, your work partner, as well as your marriage partner. I mean, I do think there's nothing like having a common goal, though, to bond to bond people. True. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we both have a really strong shared vision for where we're going and what we're trying to build. It's not without uh, it's not without problems. I, I one of the first things I did when we decided to work together was I reached out to every couple that I knew that worked with their Ooh, partner yeah. and just said, hey, what's the best advice you've got? Ooh, what's what's the best the, advice? The sort of the, well, this is, I heard it over and over was every problem in that coupling always comes down to ego. So it's mm. like you you want you think like hey I'm the one who did this thing and your partner's like well I'm the one who did this thing and so everything really is about you getting the validation or you getting the credit all the couples I talked to said that the biggest problems they had had in their working slash married relationship were ego based. And so from the jump I just, we both tried to be really mindful of, is this real or is this my ego talking? And Mm. most of the time it was ego, especially for me. I mean, I had built, before we worked together, I had built this company for 14 years. And I had this, I was so, I mean, I can say it now, but I really struggled with bringing him on board because I knew that the company was, I knew we were about to explode. You could feel it. Everything was going, like, I just knew all of this work is about to come to fruition. And I had this absolutely ego-based fear that he was going to come on board and everyone was going to say that the company exploded because he came on board. Uh. And (laughs) I'm like, I've put in all this time and I've done all these things. And there was also, honestly, a part of it that was like, it's a man coming on board. And I was really proud of being a female founder and a female CEO. So just all of this stuff. And what actually helped me through that time was years ago, I got this marriage advice. And I don't remember who it was from, but I've always held on to it of, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And for me, it was like, I want everyone to know that I did this thing and I want want to be right. I want to be validated. It's like, or you can have the help that you need. You can have the partner that you need. You can build something strong. You can grow as leaders. You can grow as parents. Or you can let your ego get a pat on the back because you do this all on your own. You can play the martyr, but at least then everybody will know that it's your thing. And ultimately, man, I want to be happy. I don't want to be right. And so that helped me get my ego out of the way. Now, we always ask every guest for a try this at home. And I bet you have many try this at homes you would suggest. <laughs> what it, but if you had to pick just one, what is a try this at home for our listeners? Something, that, something concrete and realistic that they can try uh, tomorrow to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. My biggest thing, and I feel like you've probably had someone answer this way before, is I am crazy about my morning routine. Mm-hmm. And not only not only me, but every in the last year, I've had the opportunity to meet so many incredible high achievers, authors, CEOs, like everybody that I admire, everybody that you, who are doing these incredible, all of us have a morning routine, not the same morning routine, but all of us have developed a morning routine over time that really makes everything else possible. So Mm. for me, I'm all about doing something where you move your body, doing Mm -hmm. something where you learn. So you're listening to a podcast, you're reading a book, laying your intentions out for the day and practicing gratitude. 
Those are like my four pillars of a killer morning routine. But I, at seven days a week, if I'm in Europe, if I'm here in Austin, it doesn't matter. I am so hardcore about if you own the morning, you own the day. And how long does that take you to run through those things? So back when I first started, my morning routine was like 10 minutes because it was just a quick gratitude Mm. practice. Now it's two hours. Mm. But that's, I know it's crazy, but it's like I I have four kids. I have 44 employees. I travel constantly. (laughs) Those two hours are my time. Mm. Like I, I, and my morning routine is very slow. Like I'm slowly having a cup of coffee. I'm slowly reading a nonfiction book. I'm just because I everything else is so fast paced. Yeah. And that like I sat out this morning on my back patio and had coffee and listened to the chickens as the sun rose. It was like mm. the most Texas thing on the planet. But I was like, <laughs> but it, it grounded me in this moment. Like I just as soon as I have a two and a half year old man, as soon as she wakes up, I got to yeah. go. I'm yeah. sprinting. But mm-hmm. those two hours, I wake up 435 o'clock and wow. that's my time for me. And it's so sacred. That is a wonderful idea. I love, I love morning routines. Elizabeth, you have your cup of coffee. That is your precious morning routine too, I know. Yes, I have to get up a half an hour before everyone else and have coffee and watch CNN. That's my routine. (laughs) That's a good one. Maybe not as relaxing as sitting on a back porch. I know. Listen to the chicken. Yes. (laughs) Well, Rachel, thank you so much. It's so fun always to talk to you. And um, we so appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. Seriously, a pleasure. Thanks, Rachel. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars, and you are up this week with a happiness demerit. Yeah, I give myself a demerit for um, during our trip, our family trip to Montana, which we do every summer. So, you know, Elizabeth, you were there last summer because it was the big, it was the big milestone birthday celebration for yes. our father and my father-in-law. And you, do you remember the bug bites that I got on my shoulder? It was like oh, crazy. Yes. Okay, yes, so. Horrible. Do I know that there are bugs that bite in Montana? Yes, I do. (laughs) And did I go out in Montana one day and say, hey, who needs bug spray? I don't think I see any mosquitoes flying around. Yes, I did. And did I get bitten all over the place? 100%. And this is just a demerit because I knew perfectly well. And it wasn't even just people telling me. I had vivid memories of exactly (laughs) the same time period a year ago where I got bitten up extraordinarily badly with mosquitoes. And yet I was like, I can't be bothered to go run and get the bug spray out of the bathroom. I mean, 
demerit. This is like the sunscreen phenomenon, Gretchen, where how many times have I gone out in the sun and said, oh, I'm sure I won't get burned, even though science says otherwise? A friend of mine said that her doctor gave her a great test, which is unless you need a flashlight, you need sunscreen. Mm, Oh, that's good. Well, I think I have that to Jack. I think I have learned my bug spray lesson now. I, I do believe in bug spray. But Elizabeth, give us a gold star. All right, Gretchen, my gold star goes to a feature in Postmates. So I ah. assume everyone's got Postmates. It's where you get food delivered. And and there are other apps similar to it, and they might have the same feature, but I've been using Postmates. And you can time when they deliver the food. This is the gold star. I discovered this because I ha- we had a couple of families over this weekend And, you know, I'm trying to entertain more, but it really stresses me out. And even though I don't cook, I just order food in. It just always stressed me out. Like, when do I order? And then everyone's there and I'm trying to get people drinks, but I have to like step away for 15 minutes and order and try to get what people want. And, you know, it's just like a whole production. So this weekend I told people like we're ordering from this restaurant what do you like? What requests do you have? If you don't have requests, that's fine. I'll just order. And then people texted me like what their kids like. And I ordered it all at like 10 a.m., set the delivery time for between 6.30 and 7. And then I never had to deal with it again. And it made my evening so much more pleasant. I cannot even tell you. I was just delighted. Yeah. Because you didn't have to kind of monitor that and plan for that and be like, I should do it in 15 minutes and run around. Exactly. Yeah. And be like, Adam, help me find out what people want. You know, it's just always such a production. Yeah. And what was nice is I could log on and see like, oh, they've picked up the food. They're on their (laughs) way. So I knew to sort of be getting ready. Right. Um, And I feel like it's a it's a game changer for me. I'm very excited. Well, I do give a gold star to you for having people over because that has been a major priority for you for a long time. And you're making tremendous strides. And these are the kinds of things that as you do it, you learn and then it gets easier and and easier the more you do it, which is what we always say to ourselves that if we would just do it, we would do it more. And you and I keep reminding ourselves of that. But now you're actually doing it. So gold star. Yes, I am in motion. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Recreate a menu from your childhood. Let us know if you tried it and what was on your menu. Thank you to our amazing guest, Rachel Hollis. Read her books and listen to her terrific podcast, Rise with Rachel Hollis. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like this show, please do be sure to tell a friend. Word of mouth helps us so much. And subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. The resources for this week. If you are giving a gift for a new mother or a mother who's entering a new stage in parenting, like their first child is just going to kindergarten or starting high school, like in my case, my daughter's going to high school for the first time. Think about the Happiness Project One Sentence Journal for Mothers. It's where you write just one sentence a day, and it turns out one sentence a day brings back a lot of memories. Uh, you can go to GretchenRubin.com shop uh, to see more about that. 
And if you are looking for great books to read, uh, follow me on Goodreads. Each week I post what I read that week. I don't review it, but I, uh, I don't always review it. But if I finished it, you know that I liked it. And while you're there, you can mark Outer Order, Inner Calm or any of my other books as want to read. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. But listen, you know, we remember Mario's Grinders, but Eliza and Eleanor remember Joe Marie's restaurant, The Mix, with all the salads and stuff. I know. And she has the new one, Cafeteria, which I take Jack oh. to every time we're in town. So. All right. The Scaglia dynasty. Yeah. From the Onward Project.